Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. You can find out more by visiting LifeInNaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is the chairman of the Cato Institute and a constitutional scholar. We've talked about not the politics, but the process and the uh, legal aspects of uh, the presidential election. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That's not going to be our topic. Uh, he's also the author of uh, How Everything Happened, including us. That's just his latest book of many. We'll be talking about his latest Newsmax column, Trump Deserves Gratitude for Mobilizing Vaccine Miracles. It's so true. It is January uh, the 6th, a big day in American history. And on this day in 2001, after a bitterly contested election, Vice President Al Gore presided over a joint session of Congress that certified George W. Bush as the winner of the 2000 election in one of the closest presidential elections in U.S. history. Bush was finally declared the winner after five weeks in the election due to a disputed Florida ballot. Remember those hanging chads? Well, Gore became the third presidential candidate to win the popular vote but lose the election after the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four to halt Florida's manual recount. The ruling, in effect, gave Florida's 25 electoral votes to Bush giving him 271 to Gore's 266, or 270 were needed, of course, to win the election. George W. Bush took the oath of office on January the 20th and became the 43rd president of the United States. Four years later, Bush was re-elected, beating out Democrat Senator John Kerry. Well, they lost that time, but I think they, they've got a different idea about it. They said, look, if we can't beat these guys, we're going to have to do something drastic like Dominion machines and so forth. Well, anyhow, today's the big day, and there's a wild protest in Washington, what uh, President Trump has deemed uh, the wild protest, with thousands coming in from all over the country. It's already underway in cold, rainy conditions. In fact, I saw one of the speakers get up and give an impromptu speech. It's cold and windy and rainy. It's just so uncomfortable there, and yet people are out there with a lot of joy and a lot of excitement uh, promoting and, and uh, supporting the whole notion that President Trump could win a second term. The joint session of Congress will be assembled today to review the electoral ballots, but let's first move to the uh, Georgia elections. And by the way, Mitt Romney <laughs> flew in with a plane load of patriots. He must have been hired, tired of uh, hearing them chant, traitor, 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 while uh, during the flight. I don't know how he could, he just takes these positions and he's staunching them. I think it's driven primarily by his uh, Trump uh, derangement syndrome. Anyhow, Republicans and Democrats fought to a feverish end Tuesday in two Georgia floor, uh, runoffs that will determine control of the U.S. Senate, with both races still too close to call, with nearly all the votes counted. Uh, Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler, who was appointed to the Senate after following the resignation of Johnny Isaacson, is uh, facing off against Democrat Raphael Warnock in a special election. Uh, Republican Senator David Perdue, whose term expired on January 3rd, is competing against John Ossoff in a runoff for a regular six-year Senate term. Warnock leads uh, Perdue, leads, and Perdue is tied. Warnock is ahead uh, by more than a percentage point. Ossoff, uh, it's just uh, a small, I think about 0.4%, and 98% uh, of the precincts reporting so far. When the Democrats were trailing the Republicans as the result results came in, Gabriel Sterling, voting systems implementation manager in Georgia, said on Tuesday that evening that the Democrat candidate would likely take the lead after DeKalb County reported its final results. If Democrats win both Senate contests. The party would hold 48 seats plus two independent senators, Bernie Sanders and Angus King, who both caucus with the Democrats, while Republicans would have 50 seats in the Senate. If Joe Biden became president, 
Vice President Kamala Harris would be the tiebreaker in the event of a 50-50 split on any votes in the chamber. Thus, Democrats would be the majority holding the uh, chairmanship of the Senate committees. By law, voters who were waiting in line to vote yesterday at 7 p.m. were permitted to vote, so that was all in good order. There was a, a county, a couple counties, that, that remained open later due to a judge's order. A scandal-plagued DeKalb County is rescanning advanced ballots in Georgia's Senate race because of a memory card issue. That was reported. DeKalb County fired an election manager after a series of errors in the audit of ballots in November. A Democrat leading Georgia County called it quits for the night and thousands of votes yet to be counted as two Republican U.S. candidates held on a slim leads at 11 p.m. So there's still some mischief going on. I'm not going to make accusations about it. I'm only reporting that uh, there's uh, concerns about what's going on. President Trump observed right at the uh, as the news broke of the uh, Chatham County shutting down, he says, looks like they're setting up a big voter dump against Republican candidates. Waiting to see how many votes they need? Is his question. So it's, you know, aren't we all tired of the voter fraud? Can't we tighten up this process a little, make it tighter and uh, get the politics out of it so people can have the say about what they want? That would be my hope. Well, the uh, drama continues with more than 100 state legislators from contested battleground states have asked. Vice President Mike Pence to delay by 10 days the congressional certification of the elections in their states so they can have more time to investigate irregularities and illegalities. The dramatic requests, delivered in various letters on the eve of a joint session of Congress, added intrigue, of course, and drama to the process as nor- normally is pro forma. Well, it's uh, not really pro forma because it's stated in the Constitution to really. Uh, address some of the issues that we're having right now in this election. And while Pence has said he supports lawmakers who are concerned about the conduct of the November election, he has not indicated whether he'll be willing to go so far as to in delaying the counting the votes from states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, or whether such a maneuver would be deemed constitutional by the Supreme Court. Nonetheless, the 11th hour letters from the state legislators added to the growing momentum from Republicans to contest Joe Biden's declared election victory. Of course, outside, uh, while all this is going on today, you'll see tens of thousands of folks out on the uh, mall right in front of Congress asking them to uh, do what's right and uh, consider uh, the uh, fraudulent votes that were cast in these states. We write to ask you to comply with our reasonable request to afford our nation more time to properly review the 2020 election by postponing the January 6th opening and, and counting of the four votes for at least 10 days, the letter said, affording our respective bodies to meet, investigate, and as a body vote on certification or decertification of the election. One letter to Pence signed by 88 state representatives, uh, legislators read. This action can be completed prior to the inauguration date as required by the Constitution. So the drama continues. Uh, Peter Navarro, Dr. Peter Navarro, had released a new comprehensive report, The Art of the Steel, detailing how Democrat Party and useful idiots from the Republican Party worked to steal the election from President Trump. This is a follow-up now from his first uh, letter, which was really quite complete and very informative. The director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy and advisor of Trump, Navarro released this 32-page document as a follow-up to his Immaculate Deception report. The Democrat Party and its political operatives, with the unwitting and useful <laughs> aid of useful idiots from the Republican Party, stole the presidential election from Donald J. Trump, the report thesis posits. posits. Along with uh, strategies deployed by anti-Trump actors, were the stuff the ballot box strategy, which uh, fled six key battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, with enough illegal absentee and mail-in ballots to turn a decisive Trump victory into a narrow and illegitimate Byron, uh, Biden win, uh, he says in his report. Another key takeaway from the report was the effort to decrease the level of scrutiny of ballots, effectively taking the election cops off the beat. We've certainly seen indications of that. John Solomon wrote an interesting piece in uh, Just the News 
He says, depending on the social circles and news sources, news sources, one fancies, the 2020 election was either hijacked by fraud and irregularities or was so well run, its outcome is not in doubt, and any claims to the contrary, in the words of some reporters, are baseless. But if we've learned one lesson in the era of incessant cable TV and social media, it's that the truth can't be hurried, and the sensationalized early headlines are often deceiving. That from John Sullivan. I think those are certainly words of wisdom. He says that, remember, Trump colluded with Russia? Well, until he didn't. And Jacob Blake was declared shot unarmed, when in fact he was armed with a knife. And let's not forget that Hunter Biden's business scandal was Russian disinformation until he admitted he was under criminal investigation. That's why more than 100 state legislators from the battleground states actually sent a letter in the 11th hour to Vice President Pence saying they are not yet confident in the declarations that Joe Biden won their state and want 10 days to investigate further. So complicated. What are the? I don't think there's any roadmap on what's going to happen. I really pray for Mike Pence today that he will um, assert his leadership skills and stay firm in his convictions about the right thing to do. I don't want him to necessarily be a bias in this whole process. I want him to be fair. Uh, we'll find out what happens in just many, in just a few hours, actually. So interesting. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout out to Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center serving breakfast and lunch. Just do a great job and I hope you'll stop by. They also support St. Matthew's House in such a big way. So they deserve the business because they do a good job, but also they're great citizens here in the community. Uh, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now, we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. He's also a constitutional scholar. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. 
Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. So um, we've been talking about uh, the election process, not the uh, politics of it, but rather the process, the Constitution, and it's getting very muddied. The waters are so muddied right now, so hopefully we'll clarify this process a little bit in this discussion. We left off with uh, the whole issue of popular voting versus the Electoral College in the last time we talked. What's the problem with uh, with uh, popular voting nationwide? Uh, well, it promotes sectionalism, you know, because candidates will pay attention only to the areas where there's a high density of voters. Mm-hmm. So popular voting, for example, would favor cities over rural areas, would favor the large states over the small states. And then it also increases the number and the influence of uh, some minor and marginal uh, political parties that have, right now, they have little chance to win electoral votes, but they would be able to garner some popular votes, and if, if no candidate wins a majority of popular votes, that means either an expensive and a time-consuming uh, runoff or a willingness to declare that the winners don't need a majority. And, and the question then is, do we really want to elect a president if, let's say, he's won only a third of, of the popular vote with the rest of it divvied up among lots of others? And if the answer to that is no, then we may have to have uh, runoffs or employ what now is gaining popularity, this uh, rank-ordered voting, which, frankly, I, I, I think is a very interesting idea. Yeah. That's a process, by the way, where voters actually rank their choices, and then if nobody gets a majority, the lowest uh, vote-getter uh, is eliminated, and that person's votes are reallocated uh, to the second choice among his supporters. Hmm, interesting. Well, it also, uh, popular voting uh, violates the intent of the Constitution and that what the framers had in mind because it's trying to protect uh, the entire country, not just uh, the big cities. So, uh, what, what Absolutely. Consider. So on balance, what's your recommendation regarding the Electoral College versus popular voting? Well, I'd probably leave it alone. Uh, I'd favor the states uh, adopting uh, the Maine and Nebraska proportional voting scheme. Um, because that would curb some of the inequities of this winner-take-all uh, system. Um, and it would still preserve representative government and still ensure that the states continue to check um, the electoral, uh, the federal power of the, uh, of the D.C. government. Yeah. Um, I do know one downside of this Maine and Nebraska scheme, and that is currently with winner-take-all, um, in 48 of the 50 states, uh, th- those elections are not affected by gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. So if you elect your president district by district and award electoral votes district by district, then gerrymandering raises its ugly head again, and Whoa. we have to find a fix for that. Right. One, one solution would be just proportional voting without regard to districts. That is, you, you know, you give two votes to, um, to whoever wins statewide, and then you divvy up the rest of the votes in proportion to the popular vote statewide, then you wouldn't have the gerrymandering problem. That's an interesting idea. I hadn't heard that one before. So tell us about the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, which purports to be a way of bypassing the Electoral College without a constitutional amendment. Yeah, a group of uh, activists came up with this scheme that they say would work without a constitutional amendment. And the way it works is this. Uh, assume that a state enacts a law that gives all of its electoral votes to the candidate who wins the national popular vote, regardless of the outcome within the state itself. Mm -hmm. And then assume further that the state law says this law is not going to be effective unless enough other states pass the same law to yield a total of 270 electoral votes, which is, of course, the the number needed to win the, uh, the presidency. So that scheme would be perfectly, uh, they, they argue, that would be valid under Article II uh, of the Constitution, which gives uh, virtually plenary power to the state legislatures to decide how their electors are going to be appointed. Um, it would force, that scheme uh, would force a majority of electoral votes to be cast for the winner of the national popular vote, all without amending the Constitution. So far, um, I think 15 states in D.C. have adopted that statute. They have uh, 196 electoral votes 
So there are 74 electoral votes uh, uh, to go. Mm-hmm. So I do think, by the way, that by questioning the electoral processes uh, in the current election, we've, we've fed this narrative that the electoral college should be abandoned. That, um, as a political matter, is going to be bad for the Republicans if it happens. Uh, but I doubt that this, uh, this scheme is going to be adopted. Well, again, it uh, it bypasses the intent of the framers. So, does the uh, National Popular Vote Interstate Compact pass constitutional muster? I don't think so. Um, the Constitution imposes at least two major roadblocks. Uh, the first is the Compacts Clause of Article One, Section Ten, which says no state shall, without the consent of Congress, enter into any agreement or compact with another state. Mm. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So that that clause mandates congressional consent. Now, the courts have interpreted it so that it doesn't apply to every single compact. You know, if a state wants to enter into some administrative uh, agreement with another state, mm-hmm. that's not going to violate the Constitution. But it, it does apply, I think, to any compact that compromises this dual state and federal scheme that was envisioned, as you say, by the framers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... If, if this were to come up for congressional assent, consent, this, the senators from the non-signatory states, the ones that didn't sign the compact, I think would, would certainly withhold their consent, especially the ones from the less populated states that have uh, significantly diminished electoral clout if this compact uh, were to become uh, operative. So I have my serious reservations about the hmm. constitutional uh, um, problems with the compact. So you mentioned a couple of uh, constitutional hurdles. What's the second hurdle? Well, there's Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, which is an interesting provision. It says um, when the right to vote in any election for the choice of electors for president is denied uh, to the population, uh, the basis of representation of con- in Congress shall be reduced <laughs> in proportion to the number of such uh, denials uh, relative to the whole population. So that provision suggests that any state repudiating the rights to vote for presidential elections, uh, electors uh, would be uh, denied congressional uh, representation. Hmm. And even if the legislature were to choose the same electors as, let's say, you know, 40, 45% of the voters would have chosen, um, that still would disenfranchise those voters because the franchise is about the right to choose and not about what choice you happen to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, the legislature, um, I think, would not dare, if this provision were to be invoked, select electors by any process other than individual ballots. And, of course, that's what process all 50 states now have uh, have opted for. Yeah, but uh, doesn't Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution leave the choice up to the states, the state legislatures? It does, but uh, Article 2 allows the state to decide in advance, for example, that electors would be chosen by, oh, let's say, by the governor. Um, But once the state says, we're going to hold an election, then if the state later overrides the voter's choice, as would be required under this compact, then the 14th Amendment kicks in, and the state would be subject to the loss of congressional re- representation. Now, you know, I hasten to add that the intent of that provision was to encourage states to enfranchise black Americans. Mm-hmm. And as a practical matter, that, that provision's never been invoked, even against the states that later denied uh, black Americans the right to vote for many years. Um, and in fact, uh, two years later, the, the purpose of that provision was obviated by the 15th Amendment, which guaranteed all races uh, the right to vote, and later amendments, of course, enfranchised women and 18-year-olds. But that section of the 14th Amendment has not been repealed, so I wouldn't be so sure that it couldn't be uh, invoked uh, in extreme conditions. So interesting. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O, Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. Andrew is a professor. He's also the author of a terrific read, Josephus of Oz. 
We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you Bart, by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And I proudly served on the board, actually, as board chairman for 15 years. Great organization doing great productions. You can find out more by visiting GulfShorePlayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have with us Professor. Andrew Joppa, author of also a terrific read, off-topic for today's discussion. It's called Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Perhaps we should talk about Josephus of Oz today. <laughs> well, let's talk. Uh, I, you know, frankly, of course, I think we were both hoping for better results in the Senate races in Georgia. Why don't we just open with that and talk about what happened? Well, I believe uh, that the Senate races, as they play, played out and are playing out, was, was predictable. I, I'm not going to suggest that somehow I was prescient in calling that, but, uh, and I think it was just a logical thing to believe that the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Democrats would not uh, come this far on their journey to take over America and then uh, let it, uh, let it uh, disappear in a loss in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, uh, Warnock has been declared the winner over Leffler, and Ossoff is, uh, is ahead of Purdue. Uh, Chatham County is going to uh, start their vote count again at 8 o'clock this morning. I find it impossible to believe that, uh, that uh, Purdue will somehow emerge from that with enough, win- uh, enough votes to, uh, to overtake Ossoff. So I believe we're going to look at a, uh, a Democrat dual win in Georgia, which will give them uh, numerical control of the Senate with uh, with Harris casting the deciding vote. Uh, it is the end, re- end of a worst-case scenario, which, of course, started with the defeat of, uh, uh, let me call it a potential defeat for this moment, Bob, potential defeat of our great president, um, the failure to take the House, although we made significant gains in the House, uh, and certainly the, uh, the loss of the Senate was the, the final nail in not just the Republicans' coffin, but but America's coffin. I 
uh, it's it's a it's a tragic moment for for America. I I don't want to over dramatize uh, the situation, but I think it is it is one of those situations where uh, the future becomes very predictable in terms of the uh, most extreme and radical positions of the uh, of the Democrats uh, gaining uh, gaining strength to be put uh, put into to effect. And uh, it's it's a dark moment for America, Bob. I, I will tell you that I, I stayed up last night until um, it was uh, seen that the Calb was was slow in announcing their vote count. What I would suggest is uh, they they didn't do Fulton County this time in terms of uh, rigging the vote, if I might use the word rigging. Um, and they, they made the the effort in DeKalb County. And I think that was a uh, became obvious when almost all of the counties in Georgia had finalized their count up to 95 or 99 percent of, uh, of voters counted. Uh, DeKalb was still sitting at around 37 to 38 percent at that point, and uh, that is a strong indication of, of something going uh, going on. When Chatham suspended their count uh, last night to not resume to eight, uh, another indication of, of a potential process of, mm-hmm. of, of vote rigging and you know, I don't want to overstate this, but I, I think that the uh, all the, the telltale clues of voter fraud are in place in this runoff uh, election in Georgia. Bob. Yeah, sadly, it's true. I mean, it, uh, you know, in fact, uh, it's just it's so disappointing. I just don't understand why we can't have systems in place that allow our voters to have their voice in terms of what they really want without the manipulation and the uh, fraudulent behavior of political uh, hacks and uh, unfortunately, I, I realize it's happened since time immemorial, and uh, it's usually been on a very small scale. But in fact, this time it looks like it's orchestrated. In fact, <laughs> Biden actually said well, we put together the best voter fraud situation system in place in the history of the country, or something to that effect. I, you know, he actually made this bold-faced statement. I'd say, well, maybe that's a moment of dementia, but it wasn't. In, in a moment of defending Biden, I, I think he was talking about the ability to detect and uh, and uh, expose fraud. But uh, you're right. The way he said that, it sounded like he had the machinery to accomplish fraud. So, yeah, but uh, it started certainly in 2017. Uh, what started in 2017, in my estimation, is the, the entire planning process as to how this election uh, would unfold, how it would uh, be produced uh, in a manner that would uh, guarantee a, a Democrat victory in the presidency, uh, holding the House and, and uh, winning the Senate. And, uh, it has worked uh, to perfection uh, in terms of the, the Democrat intent. Um, it seems impossible to believe that the Republicans would not have been aware of this and uh, done uh, more significant things to get in the way of this process, but uh, they apparently have have not. So, uh, my prediction, without the um, without the Ossoff uh, win being confirmed at this point, uh, I I see no possibility at this point that uh, that Ossoff uh, does not uh, win this election, uh, resulting in a 50-50 Senate with again Harris being the deciding vote. And um, what lies ahead for America is um, uh, the worst possible things that anyone could imagine and maybe beyond that, Bob. Well, uh, well so, I mean, uh, uh, Ossoff and Warner are both so, so unimpressive. and They're so unimpressive. Of course, I, I don't think that Loeffler was particularly impressive either. But uh, the point being is uh, I, I just understand how people could vote for Ossoff. He's, he's, he's done nothing. He's... He is actually a, 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 a lackey in the House, uh, uh, or maybe he was in the Senate, I'm not sure, but he was working for somebody in a very low-level position. That's all he's done. Well, when, when the voters were polled uh, coming out of the, the voting booths, they said the most important thing in their estimation, I think the number was like 75% said the most important thing was to produce a majority uh, in, the, in the Senate, uh. that the candidates themselves and who they are or were uh, had very little to do with it. And I think that's obvious, uh, as you're pointing out, Bob, when you look at the background of, of, of Warnock, uh, one of the most radical anti-Americans you can possibly imagine going into the Senate, and also a, a man with absolutely no background credentials at all. Right. Uh, but again, that was totally ignored uh, by the Georgia voters. Uh, and certainly they, they voted to put the Democrat majority into the Senate. That was the entire intent of the vote. 
uh, and it seemed to have been accomplished. I do not think it was accomplished without the control of the voting process uh, in a fraudulent manner. I think yeah. that took place in DeKalb. I think it is taking place in Chatham County. Uh, and I think it will guarantee uh, an Ossoff victory eventually over Purdue. Oh, my goodness. Well, look, I want to talk to you about the events coming up today. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to do more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Just one of the programs is to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more about the Foundation for Government Accountability by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we're continuing the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So let's move to what's happening in Washington, D.C. now. Just setting the pins, of course, there's thousands of Trump supporters in the Washington Mall uh, getting ready to, to demonstrate support uh, for the president in this uh, counting the ballots. Uh, what are your thoughts going into this? Well, I think that that uh, show of support for the president, and more so for the Constitution and for the uh, the historic America, I think is uh, is what's going to going to happen today. Whether it'll have uh, any direct impact on uh, the immediacy of the moment, that is the uh, electoral college uh, certification in Congress today. I I, I don't think it will. It, it certainly is a a better thing to have happen for the future, perhaps than than for the present. Uh, so uh, I think it's it's something that. Uh, that I'm optimistic will produce a, a stronger front uh, for the Republican Party and for President Trump as the leader of that party going forward. Well, let me just link the Georgia election to what's going on in the uh, that will start in the Congress at the 1 o'clock today. Sure. Uh, I don't believe the, uh, the Ossoff win will be declared uh, until after that process is started, after the 1 o'clock process. Why do I say that? Uh, I believe they're going to want to hold out some hope, give some hope uh, to the Republicans in the House and in the Senate that they can still hold the Senate. So I don't think they want that finalized. I think they understand that if the Senate is lost, and that's a given at the moment, uh, that their vehemence will somehow be be diminished. So my prediction is that you're not going to find out that Ossoff won until after 1 o'clock today. Now, at 1 o'clock today, uh, it will be up to uh, President, uh, I'm sorry, Vice President Pence uh, in a joint session of Congress to open uh, the uh, the electoral votes uh, that have come in from the states alphabetically. He will pass them to the teller, uh, and they will be officially counted. Now, there will be objections uh, offered for uh, several of the states. The objection will have to be from uh, uh, both a member of the House and a member of the Senate. Mm -hmm. If that takes place, uh, then the joint session will... Uh, will break up. They will go into uh, separate sessions to debate uh, the objection. There's a two-hour time process by which that can happen. Uh, at that point, after the debate is held, then the, the House will vote and the Senate will vote separately, uh, and a majority vote in both houses 
is necessary to sustain the the objection. Uh, I would suggest that it's impossible to believe uh, that uh, the information presented in that two-hour uh, presentation of information that's allowed after the objection will be enough to produce a, a, a majority vote in the House, uh, certainly not in the House, uh, that will allow the objection to go forward. So, to conclude, I, I do not think there's going to be a decertification by the actions of, of Congress. Uh, I do believe that the entire weight of the potential of this, Bob, falls onto the shoulders of, of Mike Pence. Right. So I, I believe that's, that's where we have come to. Uh, will Mike Pence act in a manner to not accept contested electoral uh, uh, college certificate? Uh, certifications from the various states, the, the swing states, uh, or he will he just pass them as pro forma uh, to the teller of the House, uh, to the teller of the Congress without comment. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the constitutionality of that, but I would suggest that therein lies the last chance of the president to, uh, to achieve his second term. It is entirely on the shoulders of Mike Pence at this point. So you're aware, of course, that there's an 11th hour letter uh, signed by 88 members, for example, and I think it was uh, uh, Pennsylvania suggesting that they don't, don't support the certification of the uh, uh, ballots. So uh, there's, uh, there's this 11th hour stuff going on. And also Ted Cruz has uh, come up with a, what I consider a pretty good idea, which is to uh, put a stop on everything and have a 10-day review or audit or forensic review of uh, uh, what's happened in the contested states and come back with a recommendation or even a decision uh, for uh, Congress. What are your thoughts? I think those are sources of, of, of potential optimism, and I think they're valid. I think certainly the 10-day audit uh, is, a, is a requirement that uh, has is necessary. Uh, everyone on the left is, of course, screaming that all the votes have been investigated by the judiciary or by state legislatures, and <clears throat> there's no need to do this. And I think the chances of actually establishing that audit are, are very limited, Bob. I, I believe you're right. Certainly there is a, a pressure coming in from Georgia and Pennsylvania, particularly, uh, that, this, that their uh, submitted slate of electors not be certified. Uh, but whether or not that can happen, I think, is, is dubious. Uh, it both would still require a majority vote in the House and in the Senate. Uh, and it's very difficult for me to see how the House could possibly, uh, with their uh, uh, sorry, Democrat majority, uh, agree to that, to that audit process. Uh, so I think you're right. I think those are sources of legitimate challenge and sources of potential optimism. Whether they can be made operative, Bob, I, I think is, is, is very, very, very unlikely at this point. Yeah, so, so interesting. I mean, here we go. We had the elections in November. That bumps right into the holidays. And now session, they're coming back in session, and that's why this is all happening in the 11th hour. Makes me wonder, perhaps, how these elections should be in January as opposed to November. Uh, the second observation is that uh, I, I think Ted Cruz's recommendation is good because it's not just about who's deciding the, the votes for uh, Trump or Biden. It's also uh, reassuring the American public that, that there is a legitimacy in the election process. There's so much doubt right now. Of course, you hear some people saying, well, the, the charges are baseless. This, we know the election was uh, proper. And that's coming, of course, from the left and also from people that like the sec uh, lieutenant governor of, or I should say it's the secretary of state in, in uh, Georgia. The other side, though, is we have, I have so many doubts. I mean, you get, listen, see the, read the letter from uh, the uh, uh, economics advisor for, for President Trump and uh, very legitimate concerns about what's happened here. I think mean, this is not fraud and, you know, a few votes here and a few votes there. This is massive, systematic fraud, in my opinion, and, it's, and the election's been stolen. Bob, I think you're letting being reasonable and logical getting in your way here. Uh, <laughs> everything you're saying is reasonable and logical. Uh, that will not uh, dominate the, uh, the circumstance as it plays out in Congress today. Uh, if it did, it would be a total um, dramatic um, change uh, that is one that can't be anticipated. So, you know, as always, Bob, in these type of discussions with you, I, I certainly hope you're right. I hope that the overwhelming logic of, of what is being suggested by Senator Cruz uh, will uh, win the day. Uh, but again, uh, I, I just don't see that happening. I, 
I do believe it will fall onto the shoulders of, of uh, Vice President Pence. Uh, and I have no idea how, how the vice president is going to react in this. I know he's been pressured, uh, and I don't use that in a negative sense necessarily, pressured by the president and uh, many of his supporters to, in fact, not accept the votes where there's a certification challenge. Um, and I think that is where we can have the possibility of exploring the, uh, the information that is available. And I think uh, if there's one reason why Pence should act in that manner, it is not to overthrow the election for the president, but to give a forum for the exposure of the, the information uh, so it can be fairly uh, evaluated uh, by the Congress. And uh, at the end of the day, then we'd have to see what happens. And by the American public, too. because again, And by the American public, uh, yes. Because a lot of people are saying, hey, I, what fraud? I, I, don't, I haven't seen any evidence of fraud. So uh, it's important that the American people really understand what happened. So I, I personally believe, uh, you mentioned pressure, I think prepared. I would suggest that, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm surprised by the lack of information we have on where Pence stands on this. I'm, at, I'm pleased that, that we're not uh, more knowledgeable. And uh, number one and number two, I suspect he spent a lot of time with attorneys. I, I suspect he is really prepared going in today with a game plan uh, in, in, in order to uh, not... <laughs> Not to influence uh, the the election towards President Trump, but to get, have a sense of fairness about the process. A source of optimism about Pence's role when he was campaigning down in Georgia for Leffler and uh, and for Purdue, he made the comment at one of the rallies where he said, uh, "The in his role as the person who counts the votes in the joint session, uh, that the the information will be heard." And he made that point quite emphatically that uh, I'm not sure of the vehicle that he intended to use to have that information be heard, but he did make that point emphatically. So uh, that's, a, that's a source of, of optimism. Uh, I did hear last night that uh, in, instead of just hearing the presentation of the information on fraud, they're going to allow the counter arguments also within that limited two hour time slot. So uh, that time slot of two hours, which was not sufficient uh, to start with, is going to be further diminished by people who will also be speaking uh, to rebut the challenge of fraud. Yeah. Andy Joppa, again, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, I always appreciate your very well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you next week, Bob. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. He's the author of How Everything Happened, Including Us. It's a terrific read. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's played such a critical role in our space program before Obama brought it to a halt. Uh, now picking it up again. And uh, also he's the author of many books on spa- on uh, climate change. His latest book is uh, really interesting. It goes back about 13 billion years up to the present. It's called How Everything Happened, Including Us. I've read it. It's really fantastic. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. Well, uh, I'm not feeling so good today about what happened in Georgia. What are your thoughts? Well, I feel like we've been through a ringer, and... Uh it's not looking very. It's not looking very encouraging. I think for uh, Purdue either. So uh, you know, it's kind of hard to fathom and kind of terrifying to think of uh, and where we are in the country right now and uh, where we're going and how fast we're going to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's a very the drama going into today with Mike Pence and what's on his shoulders right now. Uh, prayers and thoughts are with him right now because uh, he's. I'm sure he'll be prepared, but it'll be, uh, I'm not sure that, it almost feels like it's Pence against the establishment. Well, we've been, I think, in a damage control mode. I've looked at it that way. Uh, I don't see much of a pathway for uh, the presidency for President Trump to uh, succeed on this, at least on this go around, and... Mm. uh, of course, the race uh, in Georgia, it didn't go the way, doesn't look like it's going the way uh, I think many of us really hoped it would, so I think we're all kind of scratching our heads right now and saying, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. And we have 2022 coming up, which is an opportunity to, you know, to move the Congress further to the right, mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, I was I was very encouraged by the, of course, twenty twenty in terms of the congressional races that we held the line and absolutely and uh, held the Congress and so there's opportunities to do that. But now the, of course, the, you know the big the big fear now is can we uh, hold back the filibuster and protect the Supreme Court and and uh, and avoid packing the Senate with new states and so on, all these other, all this other skullduggery that would be uh, perhaps uh, have very long-term impacts. And so uh, I think we're all kind of regrouping and figuring out where do we go from here. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about something else, Professor. Uh, and uh, you, you wrote a column which is somewhat, it was uplifting. And by the way, uh, Professor Bell writes a column for Newsma- Newsmax, on Point is the name of the column, and you'll find it if you visit Newsmax.com. Your column is, Trump deserves gratitude for mobilizing vaccine miracles. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah. Um, a little bit later today, my wife and I are going, she'll be getting her her vaccine shot, uh, a COVID shot, uh, and I'm scheduled for one tomorrow, and I think as we go, we're going to be certainly very grateful that uh, this is, a, I think, a Trump achievement, uh, a very a very large one. We don't know that, uh, you know, we're totally out of the woods on this uh, COVID thing, but it's, it's certainly a, a very encouraging development that we have the vaccine right now. And I've been looking at this pretty, you know, pretty carefully. I've got some good medical sources that it looks like the vaccine is going to be effective against other variants uh, that were, are foreseeable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it really, uh, and of course, we're seeing some of those variants now that are emerging, you know, first in, in the UK and, and now we're playing a few cases in the U.S. as well. And, and it's, it's a more uh, uh, infectious, infectious strain, but not more deadly. And, uh, it seems that every every evidence is that the vaccine will will uh, respond and, and take you know provide protection against that as well. So one and one of the many I think uh, accomplishments of of Trump administration is to mobilize this you know this 
very, very rapid, unprecedentedly uh, rapid development of the vaccine. And, uh, of course, you know, we have, there's many others that deserve credit. Of course, they, you know, the, the whole pharmaceutical industry and medical industry, you know, groups that came together and worked together and decoded the virus. And there's lots of praise to pass around for this and expediting it's, you know, it's the tests and, and the, uh, and the, uh, uh, field trials and, and so on, the mm-hmm. mass production of the vaccine. So at least we have that to look forward to. Absolutely. Well, I'm, you know, and I just really appreciate the fact that uh, many people are not appreciative of actually standing in line trying to get their vaccination and complaining about it. My goodness, it, under other circumstances, it could be a couple of years into the future before any vaccine might be available. Uh, uh, Operation Warp Speed brought it about. President Trump orchestrated it. He uh, took money, paid for it to uh, assure uh, the Pfizer and others that when they developed the vaccine, they could produce it and have it ready for delivery once approved by the FDA. So, again, absolutely uh, a good, big shout-out to President uh, Trump. Now, I, I really respect, uh, I know that you do your research and your homework and all this, and you've written so many books, most of which I've read, uh, are you assured that the vaccine is safe? I'm very confident that it is. Uh, I'm certainly no medical expert, but I have I have good friends who are in that that field of virology, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, people need to understand that the vaccine doesn't use the whole virus; it only uses the spike. You know, the tiny little spikes that connect the virus to the human cell. Mm-hmm. And so you're not, it's not like uh, the case of flu vaccine where you, you take a, you know, you take a uh, deactivated virus, a uh, cold virus, and you and you insert it. Or the case of, I think it's HIV and some others where, where it's a dead virus. This is only kind of a component of the virus where, where it attaches to the cell. And that's, it's a, protein connector, and uh, and it essentially uh, puts a thing as, as a cap on, the, on those connecting points where it can't, uh, it, you know, it can't attack the cell. And so I'm very, very comfortable with that. And, uh, hmm. and there are rare cases of severe reactions uh, for largely people who already are, have strong allergic reactions to, to you know, various uh, foreign agents like vaccines and so on, but you know, I again, I don't want to give medical advice to anyone, sure. but I'll just say for my own sake, I'm very comfortable with that. Well, that, that's reassuring. I must say, I'm hesitant myself. Uh, and I don't know what Dr. Fauci's up to, but now he's saying he acknowledges that shots may not prevent the spread of infection by those that have been vaccinated. <laughs> vaccinated so he's all over the place quite frankly in my mind he has no credibility with me quite frankly but uh uh any any thoughts or response on uh fauci and how he's handled this whole situation well i know my my wife nancy has had had trepidations about it she doesn't like i think a lot of us are very concerned about taking medications we take as few as we can, and mm-hmm. and there's, you know, the, the concern that while this was, quote, rushed through so rapidly, and, and you know, do they take some shortcuts and so on, and I'm quite comfortable that, that because, because the, because the uh, infection spread so rapidly, they had many, many cases that they could look at in the field trials, mm-hmm. and so, and so they were able to to do the tests on a very large number of people. And I think the question has been, well, are there after effects? You know, the question you asked, is this something where, uh, you know, something pops up months later, years later, and, mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, I've been, you know, I've been looking at a lot of um, medical videos. I, I got accepted into an organization, a medical organization that gives up-to-date uh talks about these things and and they've made me more and more comfortable with the idea so uh i I think that uh you know nothing's 100 percent you know certain of anything but 
I think we're looking at what are the alternatives. One one alternative is putting ourselves at risk of of, and particularly some of us who are more vulnerable, age vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'll turn eighty three next next week, and uh, certainly the downside for me of getting a disease is is uh, is sobering. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think we all look at our own risk factors, and of course we know what those are: it's age and obesity and and uh, other other factors that we're quite aware of, and and of course the, you know we need to keep ourselves out of harm's way, but we can't keep the whole country out of harm's way. You know right. we can't shut down the country. You know we know what the collateral effects of that are, and uh, it's uh, it's not it's not an easy time. But I believe we have to open up the country and open up our lives again and get kids back to school and yeah. start uh, looking at. Uh, the opportunities of enjoying this this country and, and making it great again. Absolutely, Professor. Well, I know you've made an informed decision, and that's been very reassuring, this discussion, number one. And number two, happy birthday, Professor. Always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. It's always a great pleasure. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow. Uh, if you, ha- if you have any thoughts about the show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you're making a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Oh, I've got the wrong uh, spot here. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>